Hi, everybody. I'm Sunny, and this is We Gotta Talk, a live weekly digital talk show and podcast where we like to dig deep. Real talk, big topics. Now, let's dig in. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this edition of We Gotta Talk. I am so excited about today's show. If you're watching the video, I have a giant ash cross on my forehead because it's Ash Wednesday as we're taping this. So hello. Shout out to my fellow Catholics out there. Um, so today's topic is really interesting because a lot of people these days find them in the situation, find themselves in the situation of co-parenting. And with that comes a lot of emotional baggage and stress and things that can impact not only your emotional health, but also the emotional health of your child. So I'm interviewing Jim and Jessica Brass, who are the authors of Baby Out of Wedlock. They also have the website, babyoutofwedlock.com. And they're essentially a one-stop shop for anyone who's in a situation where they find themselves co-parenting with someone. And maybe there's a little bit of tension or challenge there. And the book has won five literary awards so far. It got a Kirkus starred review, which I'm going to have Jim explain because it kind of went over my head when you explained it. But guys, you're doing, you're doing great work and you're really speaking to a large portion of the population right now. A lot of people are co-parenting these days. So... Yeah, thank you for coming on. Well, thank you for having us. Yeah, it's it's really great to be on your show. This is so great. So, guys, I want to set the stage before we get into your advice, which, by the way, everyone is very thorough. Um, They break down everything on their site. They even have an active blog where they have posts on tips for, you know, doing holidays together as a family, legal tips, everything. But um, I want to get your backstory, guys, because I feel like that's what inspired you to do the work you're doing and have such an intimate knowledge and sort of compassion for people in this situation. So Jim, tell us your personal story and Jess, you too, and how it all ended up. Sure. I'll try to keep it brief. So it's a little confusing. Our baby out of wedlock situation was not between the two of us. Mm -hmm. 10 years ago or so, we each had children with people that we did not want to marry. And that quickly uh, devolved, you know, starting with the pregnancy, one argument spiraled into another, got worse and worse to the point where by the births, you know, my birth and, and her child's birth, we weren't really speaking on speaking terms with our co-parents anymore. And it was just terrible. And the first year of, of the children's life, you know, was uh, pretty much a custody battle for both of us. Mm-hmm. That was something I would describe as just absolute hell, traumatic in every way. Um, after the first year, Jessica's situation got better. Her and her, her uh, son's father learned how to co-parent effectively and, and get along well. And She's really the success story in our in our book. And uh, for me, it didn't go so well. The first four years were just constant trips back to the legal system, constant um, battles. I ended up spending over $160,000 in legal fees, which, you know, just seems absurd looking back on it. And, um, you know, in the long run, I, I ended up with, you know, the uh, parenting rights that I deserved and my child needed. But it was a real battle and it just didn't have to be so hard. Uh, fast forward a few years, Jessica and I, you know, would compare notes during that time. We were friends. We then we started dating and then we got married and we had a child together. Now we actually have our second child on the way in about three weeks. So, uh, that's so exciting. Yeah. I mean, Jessica might have to get up to use the bathroom because she (laughs) wants pregnant. (laughs) Yeah. Listen, you're all in there. They're literally sitting on your bladder. So you have, oh yeah. And he screeched. So he's been cooking me. Oh my God. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, Do you, do you guys feel like you're in a good spot emotionally now? I I guess I want to really offer that glimmer of hope to people who are watching this or listening to this and looking for 
the solace that it's going to be okay. So, so tell us you're good now, please. Unless that's a lie. Don't tell. Well, I feel like I'm in a really good place with my co-parent. Um, my son has never seen us argue, raise our voices. We really help each other out. Um, so yes, I can say I'm in a very, very good place emotionally with him. I, I think there's still some issues that come up with Jim and uh, his co-parent. Well, you know, you're asking for hope. I mean, Jessica is, they're great. They yeah. have a long distance between them and the, uh, the father would come visit on, on long stretches of time. And for a while he was spending two weeks a month here in an Airbnb. And so Jessica said, you know what, fair's fair. We're not going to take the child support anymore. And he would pay her the court ordered child support and she would return it. Just wow. because he was spending half the time with her. And so when you can, you know, do things like that, that are just, you know, fair is fair and right is right. And if this is best for the child, you know, there, there's not going to be any problems. Mm -hmm. But when you have one parent that just is, is hell bent on, you know, making things difficult and it, it's always a two sided story. So I, I would never sit here and say that I'm innocent of any wrongdoing in, in my relationship with my ex. Uh, I'm not. I made all kinds of mistakes and a lot of our book is about how to you know identify and avoid those mistakes um but you know if you have one or two people that are hell-bent on you know creating a problem then it's it's going to be a problem well, jim and, what are those mistakes you made let's let's dive into those let's use those as uh, sort of warnings to people going well, down this journey sure so you know one thing that i would say is a lot of these issues you get into arguments with during the pregnancy Right. You might you might have one parent say, I don't want there to be an overnight visit for two or three years because, you know, you, I just don't want that to happen. Or you live too far away. You can see the baby in my home or my state, but you can't take the baby out of to where you live. Things like that. And and you can get all twisted up in a legal you know, argument where neither of you even know what you're talking about, because you probably haven't even met with a lawyer yet. Or if you have, it's, you know, your uncle so-and-so lawyer it's not good advice mm -hmm. and you're sitting there battling during the pregnancy about things that like are months or years into the future and you're going to feel differently about these things you know five times over over the next few years so there's no sense in battling them about them during the pregnancy um you know a simple example that comes up for a lot of people when you're talking about a baby out of wedlock situation is a paternity test people say you know the father might say you need to get a test and the mother might be insulted by that question and say, I don't want to get a test or, you know, why How dare you? Are you, call, me. <laughs> yeah, are, you, are you calling me a whore or what? Yeah. And so there's a simple solution to that, which is every time you have a baby out of wedlock, every time you have uh, a question as to uh, who's the parent, any parent can just ask for a paternity test and the courts will grant one as soon as the baby's born. And that will be that. That'll be the end of it. And if you're the woman, you know, you should really try to understand that, uh, you are 100% sure who the father is because you knew you know who you slept with, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're the man in this situation, you, you're not 100% sure unless you have a test. And both right. parents deserve to be 100% sure. So there's like a simple thing that you might argue about during the pregnancy that you just shouldn't. And so those are the kinds of things we help people figure things out. Things that are out of your control, really. In the sure. Baby, before the baby's even born. And, you know, it starts, the, starts things off on a bad mm -hmm. note. Well, yeah, especially during such an emotionally charged time. So let, let's roll it back and kind of talk and break it down then by time. Yeah. What are things that are worth figuring out or arguing about, not arguing about, but um, mm -hmm. determining during the pregnancy? If you were meeting someone today and they're like, listen, I found myself in this situation. I don't know the guy very well, or I don't know the girl very well, but we're having a baby together. What would yeah. you say? Okay, this is what you need to focus on during the pregnancy. The only thing you need to worry about right now. 
Getting the baby out safe and healthy and happy. Let, yeah, as little stress yeah. as possible. Mm -hmm. Keep, um, yeah. Keep the stress down. Keep yourself healthy. You don't want to be, you know, telling the other parent what they have to do or will, you know, you, you can't force either parent to be a good parent. Yeah. All you can do is, you know, decide yeah. if you're going to, if you want two parents in this kid's life or not. And if you don't want two kids, if you don't want the other parent in the kid's life and they do, then there's going to be a conflict. So right. what are you can try to talk about oh religion and how how we're going to do things but you know you don't you just want to stay away from arguing about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean gosh, you're right because you have 18 years to to figure out specifics of how to do things. After the baby is here, what are some of the things that you guys went through that you noticed were immediate challenges or roadblocks to peaceful co-parenting and how did you deal with them? Well, for me, the biggest roadblock was that my daughter's mother was a big fan of attachment parenting. Mm -hmm. And so attachment parenting is you can't let the baby cry. You breastfeed 24 seven. And she had it in her head that, you know, I wasn't going to have alone time away from her, her home until the baby is three, four five years old. And, you know, after speaking with the lawyer, I realized that's like just crazy. That's not going to happen unless I, unless I allow it to happen. And so you know, she started to use this argument that um, baby has to breastfeed every day and therefore can't be away from mom for more than an hour at a time. And, you know, she would always say, you can come to my house and visit the baby anytime you want, but that we're not going to have longer visits, uh, you know, until I say so years from now. And so that's an example of having your expectations just totally out of whack with reality. And, you know, if she had read our book back then, she would have realized that that what she was asking was not reasonable. You know, forget about the fact whether it's good or bad for the, the baby. I mean, that's a whole nother argument, um, you know, that you could get into with physicians and, and therapists. You know, m most of them these days will say that a, a baby or a child needs two parents in their lives. Right, There's a great right. book out there called The Boy Crisis by uh, uh, Will Farrell, PhD. And I mean, it's just evidence mounts to the ceiling about how important two parents are. Yeah. Um, oh God. I mean, yeah, I think you're, you're speaking to a lot of people. I think if we, we took a sociological look at the ills of society, we would see yeah. that at the root of a lot of that is probably yeah. bad parenting situations and the psychology that sort of evolves from there. That is something I never thought about though. Actually, now that you bring that up, Jim, the attachment parenting thing. Now I'm in a two parent household. We did that, but it was easy for me because my husband was around. So the baby right. stayed plastered to me, but he was not losing any, any, anything, but that is something I never would have thought about. So this yeah. is something that parents should start thinking about maybe during the pregnancy, like how they plan on dividing that time as the baby is young, because yeah. those are long, long and difficult days. Uh -huh. yeah. Jess, was it any different from you, for you, from the mother's perspective here? I know you said you've had an easier kind of go of it in general, but how did you decide as far as parenting techniques, um, what was best for the baby with your co-parent? It was it was very difficult in the beginning. Um, my my co-parent had some pretty poor lawyer advice, and um, you know I was nursing, and all I wanted um, was my son's father just to kind of be around a little more, so my son wouldn't have any kind of separation anxiety. Um, and before he took him for a weekend, I really wanted him to just have like a small phasing in where. He spent a lot of time with him, so the baby wasn't scared. But his lawyer said, "Oh no, you deserve to have the baby full time, no matter what." And and it, it ended up becoming an argument. And he he stayed away, and he actually stayed out of the baby's life for a while. Um, 
So that was that's another example of, of terrible expectations. Yeah, so he, he had a he did not have a family lawyer. That mm -hmm. was mistake number one. He had a friend lawyer that did some other kind of law and so didn't know the, the basics of family law. Number two, he was asking the courts to have sole physical custody of the infant, which is just like impossible. I mean, e even if Jessica was a drug addict, they probably wouldn't take away her motherly rights. Right. So he was asking for something that was just totally out of whack. And number three, he made a mistake of he was angry about the whole situation. And so he didn't show up. So for, he didn't come around. He didn't so, come around at all. And, and that was that was rough. And that, that first year. That's bad for the baby. That's bad for Jessica. That's bad for him as a father. It makes him look poor in the eyes of the court. And, and so he did a lot of the wrong things there. But eventually he came around and saw the light and stopped mm -hmm. asking for things that weren't reasonable. Mm -hmm. And ever since that moment, they avoided a court battle mm -hmm. and have been living happily ever after ever yeah. since. When it's a good time, do you guys think to bring in a lawyer or an attorney? And again, we're sort of operating on the assumption that this is two people having a baby, but not in a relationship. And we'll kind of get into more details of specific versions of co-parenting later, but I want to start there. So well, you're having this baby, you're not together. When do you bring in the lawyer to actually draft? Yeah, that's, that's, that was one of the questions I always had too. And so we have a whole timeline in the book and we recommend you meet with an attorney. Actually, you interview two or three of them before the birth and both parents should probably do this mm -hmm. just to get you so that you have someone on the on the retainer somebody that you know you're comfortable with and going to work with and it is important you meet them in person i remember i interviewed a few one of the guys didn't seem right to me and i found out six months later that he had dementia so oh, you know God. if i had done it over the phone that would have been a problem you know um yeah. and that's another thing you need to know where to find your lawyer and the answer to that is you always go to the state and the location where the mother and the child are so I was up in New York. She was down in Maryland. For me to get a New York lawyer was no good. You have to get a lawyer in the place where they are. So we would say you initiate it before, right before the birth, sometime during the pregnancy, but you don't actually take any legal action until after the birth. And so what people don't understand is that when a father signs the birth certificate, he's saying, I'm the parent of this child. And he's agreeing that, you know, he'll pay child support if the, assuming the mother asked for it. But it, that alone, that act alone does not give him any rights to spend time or any parenting rights with the child. He must go to take the next step, which is it's called different things in different states. But basically, you're asking the court to grant, you know, parenting rights and parenting uh, time with the child. And that's a process that kicks off with with a legal lawsuit like any other lawsuit. The mother has to be served the papers. And it can also happen the other way. The mother can initiate the process. She can say, I want child support. I want you know visitation to be split up X and and then serve the father the papers. But one person or the other has to serve a legal document to the other, and that can be intimidating. And you know I remember my daughter's mother was very uh, turned off by that whole thing. You know I, she was scared of it and thought that it meant you had to lawyer up and and turn into you know we're not going to communicate unless our lawyers right. are talking. Like a, like something you see in a movie, and it doesn't right. have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. I mean ideally the two of you start to get on the same page about some of these issues. You make a pledge to each other that you do not want a judge deciding how often you're going to see your kids and you mm -hmm. start to work on a parenting plan which is a legal document about you know that that dictates how and when you know you split up your parenting rights and responsibilities and so that applies to whether you're getting divorced or a new baby out of wedlock right. or anything yeah. mm -hmm. you know I'm, I'm thinking about this of course from a parent's perspective and um it's such an emotionally charged time to begin yeah. with i want to know your personal advice on how to be in the room with this co-parent that 
presumably you've had a contentious relationship with at least at some points and you don't want to freak out and scream yeah. what what personal things did you do to bring yourself to that centered place because i know plenty of parents who that is obstacle number one for well i mean i can tell you that was one of my main mistakes is i didn't have any training or coaching on that and i did a bad job of that and that probably helped escalate things beyond where they needed to be 10 years later as we were writing this book we came we realized that there's this whole industry out there that coach and help people going through divorce and you know anyone that's in a difficult uh, co-parenting situation uh, you know so that you can find podcasts you can find books you can find coaches the favorite one that we like is uh, a guy named brooke olson who uh, runs a podcast called the high conflict co-parenting podcast and Ooh. when we were writing the book i started listening to this podcast uh, i started on episode one and after about 10 episodes i just realized oh my god you know this would have totally changed my life if i had listened to it 10 years ago and it's all kinds of tips for dealing with you know difficult co-parents and and how do you you know what are your rights what are your responsibilities blah 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 and so i think getting a coach first of all you got to identify if you're in one of these high conflict situations and so according to these expert coach they say that about 30 percent of all divorces fall into this high conflict bucket and that could be because of you know personality disorders you know narcissism or borderline personality disorders it could be because of drug abuse or alcohol or violence that kind of thing but 30% of them are in this terrible bucket, which we call high conflict. And if you're one of these people that are this unfortunate, I think I was in like maybe a medium conflict bucket. Um, I don't mean because I was high conflict. I mean, because, you know, our relationship was, and, you know, I'll say she was, but if you're one of these people, you got to get a coach. It's the most valuable thing you can possibly do. Your lawyer, a, a lot of lawyers out there will tend to spiral the conflict. You know, they might even encourage it if you have, one of these lawyers that's just trying to run the bill up on you. So you really need to get a coach that's not your lawyer to help you determine what needs to be responded to, what kind of things you should just ignore. Example would be, you know, your, your co-parent sends you a text message that gets under your skin and you spend the rest of the night arguing back and forth on, on text message or screaming at each other on the phone. And it's just totally wasted, unproductive mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And you're sitting there thinking that, oh, I'm going to use this message against him in court someday. And that's just bogus you know mm -hmm. that's not well can you too i mean i i know it laws vary and differ by mm -hmm. state but um you can, yeah, is that something I you would can. suggest is like the keeping the paper trail so to you speak? can and but i really feel like the judge has well, seen it all if you got to that point i mean so when, when you want to present evidence there's rules and the lawyers will go over this with you but you can't just hand over one text message you have to print mm -hmm. out the entire year's worth of text messages and then you know you have to say all right on page 59, here's the message I want you to look at. And then the other counsel says, yeah, but on page 52, there's uh, something that's, you know, contradicts that, you know, and, and the judge is not there to read text messages. Mm -hmm. It just gets you nowhere. That is interesting, Jim. Okay. Cause I'm, I'm thinking of friends of mine who've been in the situation and there has been, or there had been patterns of abuse that were sort of proven for yep. lack of a better term. That was the well, paper trail of this abuse. And you go into a court situation and you feel like, oh my God, here's my proof. Look what this man or woman has been doing to me. Look what I've been living with. Look at the picture of what they did to me. And when that is like turned away, or like you said, they feel like they've seen it all. I was just shocked by how much it took to change a parenting agreement. Like yeah. short of finding someone with 
a gun in their hand or like a needle in their arm, yeah. parents don't lose rights very yeah. easily. So mm-hmm. even if this co-parent was doing something you disagree with so deeply philosophically, mm-hmm. it's so hard. I was shocked by that. I mean, yeah. I don't know if that was your situation too, but yeah. I, I just, I didn't realize how much it took to alter a parenting plan. You, you need both parents to agree. Yeah. And that's the hard part. Now, so that was, that brings up a good point. So the reason I had to keep going back to court year after year is because we had our parenting plan that we finally settled on the day before our trial. And then a year would go by. And, and in my opinion, she wasn't honoring it. She wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, doing the things that, uh, you know, I believe we had agreed to. So I'd have to go back to the court to get them to enforce it. And that's kind of a lost cause too. You just don't get very far with that because, you know, the judge, what, what are they going to do about somebody that's 45 minutes late every week? What are they going to do about, you know, somebody that refuses to, you know, honor the holiday schedule as you guys agreed to it? And so the only thing that helped me, and, and this is our number one piece of advice, whether you're a baby out of wedlock situation, whether you're a divorce, whoever you are going through this co-parenting situation, th- this is the thing that you should remember if you're listening to this. Try to get a parenting coordinator involved. So a parenting coordinator is a third party. It's kind of like a mediator. But they're, um, the, the difference between them and a mediator is that they have binding authority to help the two of you compromise. And if you can't agree on a, a given topic, then they have the authority to solve that problem for you with a decision. So it's kind of like your own little personal judge. But they're not somebody that doesn't care about you. They're somebody that gets to know you over a course of months and they, they their priority is to doing what's good for the child but also do what's fair for the two of you and what honors the parenting plan that you've already agreed to and so an example would be in, in my situation we were constantly arguing about where to meet i was coming down from new york i like to take the train she was driving from maryland she likes to drive and so we couldn't ever find a good solution on how to meet where to meet who's picking up friday who's dropping off sunday and the parenting quarter said all right enough how about this on Fridays, you meet at the train station. That way, Jim doesn't need to have a car when he gets off the train. And on Sunday, you know, and she came up with a plan that was just practical and worked. And because it's a third party suggesting it, rather than, you know, you tend to just say no to whatever that your co-parent says. But when yeah. a third party says, how about this? You tend to say, okay, fine, that makes sense. When they're not family or your fr- oh, friends. Well, family and friend, you forget, forget it. You don't, you don't want any <laughs> advice. Oh, because you know, yeah, they're always going to be one-sided, right? Right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's like your own cheerleading squad. I mean, when, when these things happen, you know, entire groups of people get activated and want to mm-hmm. go defend their person. So, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about, you, you specifically get into this on the website, too, but the visiting infants part of it. So... Um, this is different than having an older child where they can maybe verbalize a preference or something. How did you guys individually work out the infant visitation and what would you suggest for someone again, entering that, that phase? Well, okay. So this is a little bit controversial because, um, you know, some of the fathers we talk to think it's, it's terrible when I say this, but then I try to explain it a little clearer. So you're not going to, as the father, you're not going to get an overnight visit with an infant until at least the baby's a year old, roughly. And the reason I say that is because it takes a year to get in front of a judge. So if you file for overnight visits on day one after the birth, you're going to be waiting and the mother doesn't want it to happen. Mother resists. She can drag her feet and it's not going to happen until at least that court date a year from now. So that's it goes back to the whole thing about expectations. If your expectation is is reasonable that you're not going to get an overnight visit till year one anyway, then don't go to the floor. Don't go to the mat battling over that. Why don't you settle for a phase in? 
where maybe over the first few months, you gradually increase your time until six, nine, 12 months down the road. Maybe you're doing one overnight at a time. And then that, you know, increases as the baby gets older to whatever your permanent arrangement is. Um, so, uh, you know, with infants, breastfeeding comes up. I mean, mm-hmm. that's good breastfed for six months, which we think is very important. And, right. you know, we're totally in favor of breastfeeding. You know, the problem is my ex, she was trying to use that as a reason to not allow visits and not allow visits outside of her uh, being there. And she mm-hmm. wasn't willing to pump breast milk into a bottle. And, and she, you know, that was how she felt strongly about it. But, you know, it led us into a court battle. And, you know, she ended up, you know, breastfeeding our child. I'm not even, you're not going to believe me, every day of her life until my child was four years old. Mm-hmm. And the courts didn't, you know, stop me from seeing my child because of breast. So after about six, after about six months, my lawyers always said the breastfeeding thing does not hold much water when it comes to, you know, restricting visits because of breastfeeding. So what, at what point, Jim, were you able to get with your child alone out of so, the company of the co-parent? So I was told good advice by my lawyer, which is get down, she'll let you see your child, get down there to Maryland every week while we wait for your trial a year from now. And so I did that. So every single week I went to her house on the weekend and we spent a few hours in the basement, you know, on the couch, watching the show, holding the baby. And, and even though it wasn't fun for me or her, you know, we, we did it. And after about six months, you had like a, a, a hearing where you meet with some kind of legal person and every state has something similar to this, where they try to make sure that there's nothing like no rights being totally um, taken away while you wait for the trial. And so at that point, they said to her that, listen, you have got to start phasing in some time here. And they made her start to give me a number of hours working up to five or six hours alone. So I would go to Maryland and spend the afternoon in a you know, park or something like that. And then when the trial date come came, there was no argument to be made that I didn't know my child because I had mm-hmm. seen her every day of her life or every week of her life. And so that's very important. If, if you're trying to get time, you know, parenting time, you need to show that you've already been there and done that. And there's no reason to, to delay it longer. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And then so Jessica's ex had the opposite problem where he refused to come down for a number of months to, to visit because he was in such a place of right. anger. Because he wanted the alone time right away. And the lawyer said, well, you this is your right. This is what you're going to get. Now I was nursing and, and he couldn't just take them. I mean, you know, I don't know if you nurse, but it's constant. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. So then I feel like they left my body and then on my body for yeah. like a solid two years. There was always somebody. So yeah. Something. Yeah. So, so he, he refused, you know, he didn't come around and then it, it, you know, we ended up doing a phasing in at the end of the, uh, when the year was up. And once mm-hmm. that phasing in happened, I was okay with him taking them. I just wanted to have that happen. So phasing in, you know, we've used that word a few times. That's a very important tool to reach compromise, Mm -hmm. right? And compromise is the name of the game. You you do not want a judge deciding any of this stuff for you. You want to come to an agreement on your own ahead of time. And anytime you have an issue with, well, I think it's too soon for the baby to go to your house or, you know, blah, blah, blah. You can always solve it with some sort of a phasing where you say, okay, well, for the first Next two months, we'll do one day a week or one, and then we'll make it two days a week and then three days a week until it mm-hmm. you know, levels out at some permanent arrangement. And, and that is what the judge is going to do. Right. The, the judge might just say, all right, we're going to the full schedule. 
Right. Right. No let, me, let me let me hop in with a question here, Jim. Phasing in, it's an interesting concept because it sounds to me like something people can start to do or suggest on their own, like you said, until the court system catches up. So was this something you suggested to your lawyer to bring up to her attorney? Or was this something you can suggest directly to the other parent and say, hey, in the meantime, until we have this figured out it, legally, can we start to do X, Y, Z? How do people start phasing in? You could do it either way. I, and again, it, if you're two people that want to cooperate, you're going to both say, yeah, let's start phasing in. And right. ideally, you get together with your co-parent or before the birth, after the birth, and you say, look, there's no reason to fight about this. I want you to have time with your child, blah, blah, blah. We're on the same team here. And you go to the lawyers and say, here's what we decided. You know, we decided there's going to be a phase in for the first year, and then we're going to go to 50-50 after that or whatever mm -hmm. you decide. And then the lawyers just say, okay, sounds good. And they write it up and they make sure that all the bases are covered and, and it's done. Let me ask you this too. How, how often do you suggest that one party reaches out directly to the other party? Because I've heard of so many situations where there is hostility to the point where the individual parties are being advised not to directly communicate. Yes. So how do you know when it's okay to speak directly with your co-parent to suggest, for example, a phasing in, or when you should pull back and let your attorneys handle things? You think it depends, so it depends it goes on, back on to the, the, high conflict. the high conflict. Yeah. If you're yeah. in a high conflict bucket, you want to do everything in writing only. You want to do everything, you know, limit right. the communication because every time you talk, it just gets into an argument. Right. If you're a regular person, like the other 70% of us, then you know the more the better right as long as you're respecting each other's roles you're not trying to you know keep one parent out of the loop and as long as you know you're not trying to micromanage their life mm -hmm. so you know we've been talking a lot about infants and babies out of wedlock but a lot of this stuff applies also to older parents older kids right and so a lot of times in those cases you don't have a phase-in situation because maybe you're getting divorced after the child's five years old he doesn't need a phase-in with either parent right so right. that child, uh, those issues are a little bit different, but a lot of the same things happen. You still should have a parenting coordinator. If you have a high conflict X, you still want to do the things to limit the communication. You probably want to get a parenting app, which these things weren't around when I went through it a while back, but they would have saved my life. So a parenting app, one brand name is called Our Family Wizard. A lot of legal jurisdictions are requiring these things nowadays, but you should try to push for one. If you, especially if you're in a high conflict situation, all your communication will get funneled through these apps. It has a shared calendar. It has all these features that help you co-parent. And if there's a problem, you hit print and the report prints out and you hand it to the judge or the lawyer and they can, then there's your evidence all in one neat package of, you know, what, what your complaint is. Um, whereas otherwise, if you're printing out stacks of text messages and emails, it's a mess. If you can mm -hmm. keep all the all the communication inside a co-parenting app, that'll make it easier for you if you have a situation like that. Awesome. Let's talk about older kids because I did want to sort of transition, as any parent knows, the needs of a child change as they age. You get into the stages of having activities and having school and having schedules and things that are happening outside of the home. What advice do you have for people who are, say, a couple of years or a few years out of the baby stage and are now working on co-parenting older kids who not only have busier lives but are also so much more aware of their parents' interactions with each other, which is a huge part of it. Well, it's uh, usually smart to bash your other co-parent in front of them and talk <laughs> trash as much as you can. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. You, you mean, joke about that, but how many, it would be very difficult to, for example, get a text message from your from the co-parent that is enraging and not yeah. react in front it of the client. You, you have to do your best to really shield them from any kind of uh, disagreements you're having. 
You yeah. never want to use your child as a messenger between the two parents. That's like a big no-no. You never want to get the other family members to be the messenger. You want to talk directly with the co-parent or you know through a co-parenting app, or if you're working with a parenting coordinator, you know through the parenting coordinator. Um, what else? Uh, there's a saying that you know works really well in a lot of situations, which which is just different homes, different rules. And you have to be flexible too when you have older children because things come up. They want to be with their friends. They yeah. want to go to a party, the sporting events. You really have to be flexible. Yeah, flexibility is a, is a big thing as they get older. If you're so rigid that you just won't bend for anything, not fair it, it's not going to, in the end, the child's going to end up presenting you for being that way. And at some point, there's going to be a situation that you need flexibility on and, and they're not going to give it to you if you refuse to give them any you know any flexibility so there's that there's there's you can't micromanage their home you have mm -hmm. to respect the two homes you have to respect the step parent situation um and all these things are difficult but you know it's definitely doable and there's plenty of examples out there of co-parents that are peaceful you know what, what's the famous couple gwyneth paltrow and and her ex from and Chris Martin, they yeah. consciously uncoupled. Yeah, yes. I mean, that like kind of makes everyone roll their eyes a little bit because it's like, you know, who gets along that well with their ex? But you know, it's possible. You don't. You yeah. can at least be civil, as long as you're not trying to kill the other person. You know? like, <laughs> it's a fine line, Jim, as we've seen as yeah. as many couples separate. Oh, where do you guys stand, just out of curiosity, now as um, your first children are getting older? um is is the relationship with a co-parent better is it more flexible what's it like well my relationship with my co-parent is great yeah um, that's awesome you know he'll he just took me to the airport the other day and you know my, my son's in the back of the car and we get along we laugh we joke we we are always in constant um, contact with each other about school and activities and bounce things off of one another and it's it's a good it's a good situation now yeah, really is. Um, I, I would say uh, if I was totally dysfunctional in the first four years after the co-parenting, you know, we are not or after the parenting coordinator, we are not uh, dysfunctional anymore. But we're, you know, we're far from friendly. We're far from friends. Yeah. We do our best to keep all the dirt away from our child. But, you know, she knows it. She knows how we feel about each other. Just she can just sense it. You know, well, that's that was my follow up question, too, is. Uh, with age comes curiosity and i'm curious how you guys approached the conversation about your beginnings of your relationships with the kids at what age did you start to say hey here's where mom and i are here's where dad and i are and here's why well you know it was when the question started i think when my son was like well, why are you and daddy together and i just said we're we're just better as friends we really are well um, if you're having a baby out of wedlock your big question on your mind is should we get married or not and you know my, my calculation at the time you know at first i thought yeah maybe we should but you know i kind of realized that if i marry this person i'm going to end up divorced to her in two years and that's not going to be a good situation for the child whereas if we don't get married but we can be friendly and, and good co-parents then the child will never know anything different mm -hmm. and you know there's no reason it can't be a healthy situation now unfortunately it didn't turn out so perfectly for me in that way but um you know i think divorce is probably worse I think it is too. So I think it is a little easier on the child one that they never had the had their parents together in their eyes. Divorce is hard. Yeah, divorce and, is you know, tough. I mean, it's fifty percent of all marriages end in divorce. So, you know, I mean, you know the numbers, and and I can't imagine if Jessica and I got divorced right now, how our little four year old would deal with that. It would be devastating for him. 
Yeah. You know, it, it takes a personal experience or the experience of someone very close to you to appreciate how, how difficult it is, even in its best form. And I, I, in interacting with my friends and family who've been through that, I just have such tremendous sympathy for them because it's yeah. so common. It's something that, like you said, Jim happens 50% so, of the time statistically, and it just still never seems to get easy, you know? Well, listen to this number. So you say it's so common. So there's 50% of all marriages are divorced. That's about 800,000 divorces a year. Guess how many babies out of wedlock there are a year? How many? Double, million and a half. That shocks me. Wow. Yeah. So 40% of all births in this country are unmarried parents. Okay. So listen, I'm listening here. Look at the lady talking with her ashes on her forehead. Catholic lady talking about marriage. Listen, there is, first of all, I should make clear, there's no judgment coming from me on this. And I don't align with the church's stances on everything when it comes to who should and shouldn't be doing what things. Um, but I will say that I'm shocked that the number is that high because all you hear about, like you said, Jim, is the divorce rate. And those people that yeah. started married, I had no idea yeah. that there were that many families There's starting. So in many. And, and we didn't realize that either until we started, you know, until we started. The number is 50% if the mother is under age 30. So yeah. half, if you're a young woman and pregnant, 50-50 shot, you're not married. I mean, I'm not asking you guys to be counselors here because I know you're not mental health experts, but like you've seen the hard side and the difficult side. Like if you're talking right now to a person who's considering separating or divorcing from their spouse and who's thinking about embarking on this, their own life and walking into a co-parenting journey, like what would you say to them? Like make yeah. sure, like what would you, what advice would you give? Them? I almost feel like you must have, that sounds like we have the perfect answer. So you said we're not mental health people. One of the uh, people that endorsed our book is a, is a family, you know, uh, mental health person. And she says with 100% certainty that all the evidence is that children are better off in two peaceful homes than one conflict-filled home. So if you have a high-conflict type of a home, your child is no doubt better off in, in two separate homes. Um, and, you know, the other evidence shows that it's your child will be fine as long unless one of the parents is like alienated from this from the picture so that's where things start to go south for for a kid where you know he's not allowed to see his dad or he's not allowed to see his mom and you're not gonna you know you're not gonna agree with everything this other parent says or thinks or feels but that's why god put two parents on this earth to give two perspectives to a child so you know mother is usually more cautious oh don't fall you know father's usually saying take a risk you know you can do it johnny and those two things, those two points of view are what build, you know, great kids. And so when you deny one of those viewpoints because you don't like this person, this co-parent, you're just doing your child a disservice. So you really have to try to uh, figure out how to say, look, my opinion is X, but dad has an opinion too, or mom has an opinion too, and, and my child deserves to be influenced by both of those opinions. And, you know, you're going to have some situations where you say, I can't believe dad will let you watch that movie. But- mm -hmm you know, you got to, that's, that's life. And so if you were married, you'd have those kinds of arguments too, probably. Yeah. We love fighting. Married people yeah. love fighting too. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we're going to do. We don't fight. <laughs> oh, not at all. I always say fighting is a, is a purging of our souls. It's got to be respectful and you got to kind of find a way to laugh about it, but you do have to let the feelings out in a respectful way. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the site and what's offered there in addition to the book. 
Um, tell people what they'll get when they check out of babyoutofwedlock.com. I'm looking at it and it, to me, it's just one giant and really well-organized resource, but tell us a little bit about what people can find when they land there. Sure. So, um, you know, we, we made the book and, and we're trying to get it in front of as many people as we can, because we know there's this huge need out there. And, you know, uh, we just, we, we put the website out there because we realize that there's going to be people that have follow-up questions, people that, you know, want some one-on-one -on -one coaching. So we don't charge for anything on that website. I mean, we sell the book on Amazon. It, it, we're not getting rich off a book. I can tell you that for sure. We're not in this for the money. You know, we have day jobs. We do other things. But we have experience to offer in this situation. We, over the last year, have partnered up with a, a number of other organizations. So when we talk to somebody, we just got somebody in Florida um, the other day, actually. I know you're down in Florida. And so we have an organization in Florida called Our Children Have Rights. And we referred them to outro, you know, to that organization and they got a, a lot of great help from it. Um, so basically, we'll take your call. We'll take your questions. We'll spend 30 minutes on the phone with you totally free just to sort of help you get your head in the right place, help you get your basic questions answered. And usually those questions are, you know, how much is a lawyer going to cost me? What is the child support calculation going to look like? You know, basic questions like to just get you started. We're not lawyers. We can't you know, hold your hand and fill the paperwork out for you for the next year, but we can get you pointed in the right direction, get you connected with people that can help you and get your basic questions answered mm -hmm. so that you're not, you know, spending, uh, having all the mistakes that, you know, some of us went through a while back. Yeah. yeah. Anything you want to address? How do, how do you guys feel like now that this is out in the world? I know like to use a phrase, this was a labor of love. Like you just said, Jim, this is something that you felt like needed to be in the world. Does it feel good to yeah, share good. your experience? It feels good to help people. It really does. Yeah. At the end of some of those phone calls, especially when you hear back from um, some of them, just thank you so much. Like I didn't realize, you know, well, so many of the things I learned so much. It, I think it, well, one of the things that's unique about us is we have this girl guy perspective. And so we had a, a female client uh, that we spoke to a while back and, and she was saying, how helpful was for her to hear the man's point of view on these mm -hmm. issues because mm -hmm. she was kind of stuck in a place similar to my ex with the attachment parenting and stuff like that and, and to hear the other side of the story it kind of made her realize oh i didn't think about it that way let me let me let me give it some more thought now and so i think that that's the one unique thing about us you know we're not like some phd sitting in some professor you know college somewhere telling you you have to respect your co-parent like that's not really going to help you much. You know, you need to find like some answers to your questions um, so that you stop arguing over things that don't need to be argued over. Mm -hmm. And there's no reason you have to spend a fortune with an attorney, but you have to spend a little bit with an attorney, but not a fortune. Yeah. You know what? I was going to wrap things up, but just one quick tip, Jim, for everybody before we go, how do you know when you click with an attorney? Because <laughs> I feel like this, there's so, probably a lot of options available to anybody, yeah. no matter what city they're in. So I mean, how did you know that it was a right fit? Well, I, I would say one thing about a good attorney is they will always tell you at least some of the time that you do not need to respond to that, right? So you might get like a menacing email or a menacing letter from the other attorney that tries to threaten you into some way. And if your attorney is constantly saying, well, you got to respond to that. We need to draft a letter to respond to that. And that's another thousand bucks, you know? That then you got to start asking yourself, like, is this the right person for me? And that's where your coach can come in to say, no, tell your attorney to ignore that because we don't care. They're, they're just trying to ruffle our feathers. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to know right on in the first time you meet an attorney, if they're that type or the other type. 
it's just like a job interview. A lot of it is just, you know, you go on references, you go on recommendations and resume. And, and then at the end of the day, you just have to sort of go with your gut on who you think is an honest person that is not going to try to get you to escalate. You want somebody right. that's going to get you to de-escalate. That's a really good point because I'm sure there are some that want to fire you up and there are some that want to calm you down. So as we wrap things up here, guys, um, just to kind of give people that little bit of maybe, I don't know, not uh, like comfort maybe that they Mm -hmm. might need again, if they're in the beginning stages of this journey, just let us know um, a little bit about what people can look forward to when they do develop a good co-parenting relationship or why all of this is worth paying attention to and fighting for in the beginning stages. Well, the last question is easy. It's, it's worth it for the child. I mean, yeah, it is worth it. Your kid needs two parents, no matter who they are. Uh, you know, and, and there's some people in this world that are through one reason or another, there's only one parent available, and that's you know that's sad. And those kids will they'll survive and they'll do okay. But if if you have two willing and able parents, you just you got to make sure that you don't ruin that for the child. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is that 10 years is going to fly by in a flash, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I think back to like all the things I was worried about that first year, you know, well, why can't I have an overnight visit sooner? And, you know, when are you going to let me take her for a ride in my car? Like these things, they come and go. And and before you know it, your child will be a teenager and there'll be a whole different set of problems you have, but they won't be arguing so much about you know, things with your co-parent. So, um, you know, the big picture, keep the big picture in mind, respect your co-parent, child needs both. Mm -hmm. Uh, What else? Different homes, different rules. That Mm -hmm. solves a lot of problems. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, like I'd let you do that. That's his house. Different rule in our house. Right. Yeah. The respect for and the weaving in of the step parent is also something. That's a whole other session you'll have to have respect for. And just remember, Jim, like you said, by the time they're 15, they won't want to hang out with you anyway. So that's true. That's totally <laughs> true. like, no thanks to either of you. Right. 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 Um, okay, guys, tell us your um, social channels. Again, we mentioned the website a couple of times, but any more plugs you want to get in for where to find the book and where to find you on social media? Um, yeah, we're on uh, Instagram and Facebook. It's just Baby Out of Wedlock, uh, Jim Jessica Braz, the website you have there on the screen. The book is available on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or anywhere else you buy books. There's a Kindle, there's an Audible version. Um, you know, it, it really, I think, can really help people, um, especially if you're in that pregnancy phase. But also if you have an older child that's, you know, one, two, three years old and you're just going through the situation. I think there's a lot of people out there that they start out, you know, as a couple. And then after that first year or two, they realize this isn't working out. We're not going to get married. You know, one parent moves out and now you're in this situation of, you know, how are we going to do this? And so I think, um, you know, the book, the website, um, and the social channels are, are the easiest way to reach us. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Awesome. You know? Thank you guys so much for taking time to speak with everybody and be so vulnerable. I think um, you just sharing your story is a great sort of comfort for a lot of people who are going through the same thing. Jessica, good luck with your pregnancy. Hope Thank you feel you. well. Get all the rest in you can. (laughs) She must have to go to the bathroom right now. (laughs) I know. I'm like keeping you. Okay, go, go, go. Jim and Jessica Bross, thank you again. Um, Guys, check out the website, babyoutofwedlock.com. Like they just mentioned, it is a great first place to go if it's the situation you find yourself in. 
it is incredibly well organized and it's just full of great information, including a blog where it looks like they update really regularly with really practical tips for co-parents who are entering this journey or even have been there for a while. So a huge thank you to Jim and Jessica. And thank you for watching and or listening. Um, I'd be so grateful if you could leave a rating and review. Those actually help this so much to get out to people who might find it useful or interesting or helpful in some way. So please go do that. The blog is wegotatalk.com slash blog. We always wrap up all of our guest interviews with a nice blog post at the end of every week. So check that out as well. Thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you next week here on We Gotta Talk. Bye.